good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us, listeners, on uh, I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson. Uh, we're here live with you from Market Scale Radio and uh, really excited about our guest here today. Uh, really interesting take. I- I'm really uh, excited about having Dr. Kathleen O'Grady Winston on our show. Uh, Dr. Winston is the Dean of the College of Nursing for the University of Phoenix. And so she has a very broad swath of influence over, uh, over nursing students and nurses in general throughout our country. And so uh, we'd like to talk with Dr. Winston about uh, many of the things that are going on right now during the pandemic and uh, in the career of nursing as a whole. So Dr. Winston, welcome to I Don't Care. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited to have you here because, you know, my listeners have heard me uh, talk, complain, whine about, you know, what can we do to treat our nurses better? And so who better than someone like you who, who has that who has that level of, of control that, uh, that can really help set expectations for nursing students for their careers. So, so let's start off. My first question is, you know, when the pandemic subsides, you know, many nurses uh, who I've talked to and nurses who have organizational behavioral backgrounds as well are predicting an exodus from the profession due to the high stress levels that nurses have uh, endured over the last year. So what are universities doing to help combat that and also to recruit new students into the nursing profession? Well, let's, let me help you and your listeners feel a little more um, encouraged by the fact that what we found in this study that we did here at the University of Phoenix and what I found over the course of my um, long career in nursing education and nursing leadership as well as nursing practice, and that is that despite this pandemic and despite the stressors and the real, uh, uh, the real anxiety that it was attached to it, 99% of all the respondents in our survey said that they are still very satisfied with the profession and that they would do this profession again if given the opportunity. So I think that gives us a level set of who the, who the individual is that is attracted to nursing and who authentically and genuinely is uh, called to this profession. Mm-hmm. The, the truth, however, is that we do have a capacity and a uh, pipeline issue. And that is perhaps exaggerated or maybe given more attention because of the pandemic, but it existed even before that. Uh, when we had in the 2008, 2005 to 2009 perhaps, there was an anticipated and very real nursing shortage, nursing practice at the bedside in the community shortage. And that was primarily due to the fact that baby boomers, uh, individuals in my um, professional age group, were anticipated as being ready to retire. The economy wasn't in the strongest place at that time. And so there was a delay in that retirement. Many of the expected retirements did not occur. So those baby boomers, which have made up about a million of the nurses that are out there and the largest portion, Mm -hmm. much like other professions, um, did not, uh, was not realized in the way that was expected. However, the wise people and some of the leaders that I think you're probably talking to are thinking about how that still is yet to come. And perhaps the impetus for that might be the trigger of having um, 
continued to work longer than maybe was expected initially. Mm -hmm. And now with the sort of additional exhaustion attached to it, uh, as, things, as things settle, we might see that um, larger number of retirements. However, we're going to see them anyway. So we need, as a profession of nursing and as healthcare providers at large, we need to be working toward how to fill that pipeline that we knew was going to be um, a bit uh, lean when, uh, even, uh, even several years ago. So in anticipating that, one of the things that nursing education as a whole and across the country has done, and I primarily was in the state of California for most of my uh, academic career, and in the last three years came over to the University of Phoenix and have a much larger, broader um, breadth and depth of view now, but what we've all known uh, in the profession among my colleagues and myself is that there, there is uh, plenty of applications. So that's also the good news, right? So we didn't lose as many to the retirement that we expected. We can anticipate the shortage that maybe will be exaggerated because of the pandemic, but we knew was going to happen anyway. And we also know, though I'm not sure we've solved that problem really well, that we have a capacity issue. And that capacity issue is we have plenty of individuals applying to colleges and schools of nursing. The difference is we have to make sure that those are qualified individuals. True. Because it's one thing to want to be a nurse. It's another thing whether you as an individual have the capacity to do the work of nursing, mm -hmm. which is a whole subject in and of itself. Exactly. What, is that, what is that work of nursing? And, and, and what is it that makes you have, helps you have the capacity or, or makes you eligible to do that? And then in addition to that, you have the conversation around, okay, I have plenty of applicants, but what are the eligibility and, and what is the quality of those applicants? Mm -hmm. And that sort of, dis, that sort of dis, you know, dilutes a little bit of that pool. And then from that, uh, of that qualified and eligible um, uh, capacity of student, what's the capacity of nursing schools and nursing colleges to serve those students and provide the kind of education and the quality of education and particularly the quality of clinical experience that they will need in order to, in order to practice as a, as a professional registered nurse. And that seems to have been where our greatest gaps have existed and that mm -hmm. continue to be something that we're challenged to address. And that is what can we, what numbers can we handle? And I would say medical school shares that same right. similar experience right. in terms of um, in terms of numbers. So I do find that right now medical schools are getting an increase of interest, whereas nursing, uh, the interest in nursing has always been high and it remains mm -hmm. high. And that's always comforting to myself being on the being on the end of the nursing of uh, spectrum to know that there's still a generation interested. Well, that's great to hear. You know, you bring up a really interesting point. It's almost, you know, in a sense of an indictment of some of our high school education that that maybe they're not preparing students to to enter college. Uh, you know, am I am I too far off on that? Well, I think um, I think again when we look at it, depending on the location, you know, a lot of things become situational and circumstantial, True. right? Um, so there are many places that do a really great job with K to 12, and particularly in the in the uh, post the the four year high school level of developing uh, health academies. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of them, not many, but there are a few out there that actually have nursing focused academies. There's a great uh, a great program in 
in Texas, and it escapes me which university, but it, is, it uh, invites high school students to a summer sort of boot camp experience to help introduce them to medicine and nursing. Interesting. Um, so there are some certainly things out there that, that have been done that have maybe been, are really good examples, but we really need to scale those uh, in order to help really uh, address not only the interest, but what it is you need to be well prepared for those, uh, for those professions. So that desire to be a nurse is one thing, but what is the, what is the criteria, both academically in terms of preparation at the, in that K to 12 world, mm -hmm. um, to really position those prospective students to be successful? Okay, much like other industries as well. Uh, so, so I know that the universities and certainly nursing schools are always evaluating their curriculum. Okay. So what have you seen, what has occurred over this, uh, this time of pandemic? Uh, how has that led you to uh, reevaluate your curriculum and maybe adjust it going forward? Well, it's uh, wonderful to know that you're aware of how nursing programs are doing continuous quality improvement in their mm -hmm. curriculum, much like we do continuous quality improvement in the healthcare arena generally, and we do. This has been a really interesting time. Um, I'm a, I started my career like a lot of nurses, you know, critical care and med surge mm -hmm. and evolved into a public health nurse. And have, so I have a real um, personal interest in all that's happening with this infectious disease um, COVID-19 pandemic. But what I've really been excited about is there's been a new interest and focus even among my nurse in education colleagues who are teaching in other disciplines and maybe have other specialties within nursing to really take a closer look at the value and the importance of what our curriculum looks like in the arena of community and public health. And how do we want to, how can we modify and how can we expand that, the, the learning activities, the student experiences to really help prepare those new nurses that are coming out early on for the management of infectious disease uh, and communicable disease situations. And I have to say, uh, in a couple of in a couple of things, is that public health nursing and community health nursing is one of the areas in nursing education where we do make a lot of uh, regular and routine kinds of updates and changes because it's a dynamic and very uh, ever-changing uh, part of our discipline. And another point that I thought was just very interesting is just today, before I, I came uh, to join you on this podcast was my uh, colleagues and I talking about from our advisory group, which is really, you know, people like yourself who join our, uh, mm -hmm. who join and provide us some guidance and, and some support and some advice about what the real world of practice is needing and how can they help us and we help deliver for them the right product of, of graduate who's going to meet those ever-changing um, demands. And so we just received, so we have, uh, we're very fortunate to have uh, a Red Cross representative uh, on our advisory council. And one of the things that came just most recently uh, in preparation for our, gra our graduate program is to develop a short burst um, badging opportunity in this very area of disaster preparedness. And not just disaster preparedness in a, a sort of the traditional sense, mm -hmm. though that's an, an element and a component of that, and it's taught in community and public health undergraduate, but to really develop a specialty in that where we can in a short burst sort of learning environment for practicing um, nurses as well, when they're faced with something 
that they didn't uh, prepare for in their own uh, in their own schooling because it didn't it didn't exist or it wasn't mm -hmm. part of what their education was about that they'd be able to be updated on that. So there's this continuous um, this continuous focus always on really honestly and authentically looking at and getting the pulse of what's happening in not only in the discipline, but what's happening in healthcare generally across mm -hmm. the country, and then working to build that into our curriculums. Very interesting. Well, I, I saw in your study that well over 70% of nurses said that they picked up additional leadership responsibilities due to the pandemic. So, so tell me a little bit about University of Phoenix's philosophy on you know, teaching that leadership management level of nursing because you know, many nurses who are just phenomenal at the bedside unfortunately struggle when they're promoted to a, a unit manager or, or a director position. So what are you guys doing as far uh, you know, as training those folks? I think, I think one of the things that we need to, across the country, need to do in nursing education, and we're moving to do a much better job of that, and that is in pre-licensure programs, those, those um, programs that are preparing the students to become registered nurses. We need to help them understand that they don't take just this leadership course toward the end that they then can carry with them into, the, mm -hmm. into their uh, experience, their clinical practice, but rather recognizing that leadership is an inherently um, inherent competency to all of our practice, whether that's a bedside practice um, where we're demonstrating that leadership or whether it evolves all the way out to um, policymaking levels of leadership. Mm -hmm. but, the, but in order for healthcare, because we know the whole healthcare system is really in need of improving patient-centered care, quality right. care, um, improving access and value. If we're gonna, the, the individuals who are best positioned to really help drive that really are the nurses. So mm -hmm. nursing education really has, is developing some transformational, particularly I, I know in our, grad, in our graduate programs and our nursing administration program, um, but across the board, transformational kinds of leadership that requires making sure that, that we teach those competencies of leadership early on in the program. We build upon them and further develop them so that, so that students integrate them early on, much like they integrate um, any other parts, part of their practice, whether it's their physical assessment or their pathophysiology or even uh, mental and emotional health um, competencies. What also do we need as leaders across all levels of the delivery of care in community, in acute care, and in all of our practice arenas? and also mentorship. So I think leader, really developing those leadership competencies and providing a mentorship experience that is larger than and broader than even what we provide in the actual clinical educational experience, mm -hmm. but really tapping into those experts that are out there in the, in the uh, practice world. Yeah, I would, I would echo your, uh, your uh, mentioning of mentorship because I've talked about that a number of times here on the podcast about, you know, how valuable that is for, you know, all levels of the organization uh, mm -hmm. and all people to have a mentor, somebody that, who they can go to and really, you know, talk things out. So, yeah, sure. thanks for bringing that up. Uh, you talked about uh, the, the boot camp that uh, one of our uh, colleges here in Texas provides 
for people who might be interested in healthcare careers, nursing, whatever. But outside of that, do you really feel that students have a skewed expectation of what a career in nursing entails? And other than things like that, what can you do at the at the at the collegiate level to to uh, better prepare them in the very beginning of their uh, educational journey? I think they absolutely do have a skewed sense of it. However, I'll qualify that a little bit by saying, why didn't we all um, at some point? Exactly. So I was a 19-year-old registered nurse. I'm not sure uh, who was brave enough or, or stupid enough to allow me to have a, a, a license at that age. I'm grateful that they did. Mm -hmm. But I can remember, too, um, being very excited about the concept of the white outfit and the cap, right? And it all seemed so glamorous. And I think this generation, you know, I start pretty much every introduction with brand new nursing students with the comment that there is no um, Dr. McDreary out, dreamy out there. <laughs> and um, maybe dreary, but no Dr. McDreamy out there. And that when we look at like everything in television or in the media, it's often sensationalized and glamorized because they are trying to get us to pay attention to it. Right. But that the reality is that the gift we're given, and it's a sacred one, and that is we are called to be with people at their most vulnerable of times in, our, in their lives, and that it's an important responsibility that really carries um, a level of, of um, humility rather than um, uh, you know, celebrity attached to right. it. And so I think that has to be a level set or sort of that important message if they don't come with, to us with that knowledge that we really help, um, really help them to understand the meaning of that very early in their academic career. Though I must say that one of the things that we're seeing more and more of in the pre-licensure area particularly, and that is as we evaluate what I spoke about earlier, that the eligible and the quality candidate prospective nurse, it's no longer just what is a test score, mm -hmm. you know, or were you a good, uh, were you a, did you get a great score in a anatomy and physiology, or even how was your, you know, chemistry. But in addition, and perhaps in some ways, um, everything old is new again, the things they cared about when I went to school, and that is, um, have you, what kind of service have you given to your, to your community? Right. What kind of um, interest have you had in outside of your own uh, your own uh, high school experience, mm -hmm. where you sort of learned a little bit ahead of time about what might be expected and required of you. Right, but boy, well said. I totally agree with that. So, so you mentioned earlier, uh, University of Phoenix recently completed a study that highlights the sentiments of frontline healthcare professionals. And in that study, 55% of nurses said that they felt like their voice wasn't being heard in this crisis. So what is it that nurses want to hear? I think that's an interesting, uh, an interesting item among the many items that mm -hmm. were found in the survey that we conducted. And part of that's an age old um, experience that perhaps we, uh, that many times has been, felt like it's been resolved or it's certainly been addressed over the course of time, but that we, we revisit it in a time when the stress is a little bit higher and the anxiety is a little bit higher and a nurse is in a setting feeling uh, less empowered than she might have realized because of what is happening here. And so I think what nurses are asking 
for or trying to articulate for us and to us is that they want to be at the table when decisions are made. And mm -hmm. that speaks to the need for that leadership, right? right. They're, they're now, um, they're, they're taking care of patients. Who better than that very frontline person to tell us what the needs are, what the, what the changes should be, how we should really operationalize the work mm -hmm. that happens. And nurses are very engaged in, in, uh, on committees and in, in arenas right. where um, we need that. But I think it's becoming a more, that this particular situation has really become, really shined a light on the need for nurses to feel respected and valued mm -hmm. and that that's their voice. And I think we are, have been in a society historically where some gender differences between, phys between physicians and nurses sure. were predominant male and female. That's not so much the case anymore, but it certainly sometimes um, reveals itself or presents itself, manifests itself again in, in those kinds of um, historical um, mm -hmm. places. So just continuing to recognize that, that nurses bring to the table a unique voice that is very much the voice of advocacy for the patient that can really serve the institution and its other leaders um, very well. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think you may be happy to hear that, that the president of our hospital reminds us uh, pretty frequently that the Medicare definition of a hospital stay is 24-hour nursing care. So uh, we, we remind ourselves that, we remind our medical staff of that uh, very often. And so, and, and that's something we as administrators need to need to continually remember, uh, you know, to provide transparency and communication with all of our staff, but certainly with our nurses as well, because, you know, particularly in this time, how, how difficult everything is. And we were talking before uh, we started recording that, uh, you know, nurses, along with, with everybody here uh, in, in the hospital are stressed right now mm -hmm. and, and stretched. Mm -hmm. and, and so... Uh, yeah, we, we've just got to make sure that that uh, we're providing the information that they need, and, and particularly around early on, I, mm -hmm. I think, you know, one of the biggest issues was adequate PPE. Mm -hmm. And, you know, many, many hospitals across the country were faced with issues that they didn't feel like they had adequate PPE, and the nurses were the ones bringing that to the mm -hmm. attention, and, and rightfully so. Uh, but I think for, from our perspective, unfortunately, we're, in a, we're a part of a very large system. Uh, we had adequate PPE. We made sure everybody recognized that. And, but, but that's just one aspect of that transparent communication that administrators need to have with nursing and nursing leadership. So um, another part of your study that, that I found to be, unfortunately, uh, a kind of a uh, duh moment for me, uh, it found that 65% of nurses felt underappreciated. So tell me as a hospital administrator, what can I do better? I think, I think um, some of what you've already described, right? You know, really um, that transparency, that inviting of information. And, and I think one of the things that um, I think as administrators, we can be really successful is when we close the loop. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes an administrator will say, well, we did listen, you know, we do make changes based on what the nurses tell us. But if the nurses don't know that, right. how it circles back, especially if it's something that's a little more indirect. Mm -hmm. It's one thing mm -hmm. if the nurses say, oh, we need more of these, and then they see it appear, and so they know that that occurred. But I think um, administrators 
can do a really a really good service for themselves in their public relations, so to speak, by really communicating back and closing the loop and say, hey, you know, we 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 took that information, you we we brought it forward. Um, these are the discussions that came, and this is the result. Even if it's not what they hoped for, I right. think sometimes that's equally important. Is it we made a decision not to do um, what you suggested we do. We're doing this instead, mm -hmm. and maybe even the explanation as to why. And it's it, just to be able to acknowledge that it's it's even okay that um, you, we didn't do it this way, but we want you to know that thoughtful consideration was given to it. And I think one of the things that I believe about nursing over the long career that I've had is that seldom are we considered thoughtful strategists. You know, we're often considered um, uh, functional doers. Mm -hmm. We're really good at following um, the policy and the procedure and the, and the plan of care. We might even be part of the development of all those things. But the thoughtful strategy of the bigger picture and the operation um, is not, people don't automatically, nurses sometimes themselves don't automatically go there. And I think administrators recognizing the ability for those individuals to be thoughtful strategists would, will go a long way too. Yeah, I would agree. And, and we're blessed here at my hospital to have some tremendous nursing leaders you know, up and down the organization. And so uh, uh, I rely on them uh, quite often. Mm -hmm. So in our last couple of minutes that we have, I, I can't leave without asking you, what do you see as some trends that, that are going to be transpiring over the next few years in nursing and in healthcare as general? Just give me a couple of those that you think. Well, I think we're going to continue to see um, nursing outside of acute care facilities. Acute mm -hmm. care facilities go nowhere because they're essential to, to healthcare and delivery. But I think a broader, um, wider um, sort of brush of understanding that health is more than. And again, I, I go back to my everything is old um, is new again, because if you've lived and worked as long as I have now, you um, it really is that case. And when I first um, had to memorize the definition of what nursing was and what a nurse, uh, what the practice of nursing was. They told us that it was because it was not its own discipline in and of itself. It was it was a it was a biopsychosocial, spiritual, cultural um, activity, and you were going to provide support and service to a biological, uh, emotional, spiritual, and cultural being. And in doing that, um, that doesn't happen in the in only in a particularly small um, siloed environment, right? So it happens all across. So it's not just care of the, of the individual, but care mm -hmm. of the family and care of the community as a whole. And, and, that, and while we talk about global, and that's certainly something that we have to look at in the kind of society we're in, we also talk about in the, in the next few years, I think just um, looking at the local community, the local family and the local individual mm -hmm. and providing the best quality care we can give to those. And then, and then that in itself becomes transformational and impacts the larger. Absolutely. Boy, you, you, you landed on just a, a wonderful topic. That's something that we're actually, I had a call about that today with, with uh, uh, some folks here at Baylor University uh, about uh, working with them on research projects around health here locally in uh, the Central Texas market. And so, you know, oftentimes people think, hey, 
you know, going going overseas and, and providing care or mission work or whatever, that that's a really cool thing. But unfortunately, sometimes we forget about our folks that are next door. Mm-hmm. And so thanks for reminding us of that. Dr. Kathleen Winston, you have been a gem of a guest. We would love to have you back on again to get your perspectives. Rarely do we get somebody with your level of influence uh, over the entire country with <laughs> University of Phoenix uh, being, the, being the dean of their college of nursing. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Oh, thanks. So listeners, you know, you know how to get a hold of us every Friday morning, 930 Central Time on MarketScale.com. I hear they're revamping the website, so it might be a little bit easier to find my show, which I'm excited about. Uh, but also, if you can't make it then, uh, you know we drop every morning right after that on Spotify and iTunes. And so I'll end this show like I end every show. If you haven't subscribed to my podcast, why not? So with that, this is Kevin Stevenson. You've been with us on I Don't Care, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks. Thanks.